everyone. Thanks for joining us on another episode of PA Insights with NCCPA. I'm your host, Jeff Boswell. In today's episode, we have our NCCPA Director of Research, Andre Kozakowski, and Research Analyst, Colette Jeffrey, back to guide us through the latest statistical profile of certified PAs and share new numbers and trends from our 2019 data. Next, we'll talk with NCCPA Health Foundation board member and certified PA Amber Bootsy, as well as the Health Foundation's managing director, Tiffany Flick. They'll join us for a discussion about mental health and how all certified PAs can make an impact. Then we'll answer some questions you submitted to PA Insights. And to wrap up the show, we'll share some good news. So let's get started. It's time to welcome back NCCPA's dynamic research duo, Andre Kozakowski and Colette Jeffrey. Thanks to both of you for joining us again. Great to be here, Jeff. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. In a previous podcast, we dove into our statistical report that detailed PA demographics and workforce data from 2018. And today, our research team is here to talk about some of the key findings from our 2019 statistical profile of certified PAs. So let's get started. Andre, uh, what does this report tell us about the growth of the PA profession? There are over 139,000 certified PAs in the U.S. Uh, the profession is growing at about 10,000 per year, even after accounting for those who retire. And in the last five years, the PA profession grew uh, by 37%. And uh, so what do all of, uh, all of those growth uh, patterns mean for patient care? With the continuous growth of the PA profession, more patients will be able to receive care from PAs. PAs practice in all specialties, uh, all settings and states, and are essential members of healthcare teams and have a positive impact on the nation's healthcare system. You know, you spoke to, with that kind of uh, growth in the professions, uh, profession, more patients will be able to receive care from PAs. Uh, does this report indicate how many patients are being seen every week by PAs? It does. So our estimates show that in 2019, certified PAs were seeing an average of 9.5 million patients per week. And to compare that to our 2018 numbers, it was 9.1 million. So that's a substantial increase from from the prior year. Still, it's a tremendous number. And then the growth is so large, but 9.5 million, you know, sometimes you would think that's that would be a yearly number almost, but 9.5 million patients per week is is amazing, especially for a population of, you know, just over 139,000 certified PAs across the country, 9.5 million patients per week. Well, does this report give any insight into the diversity of the PA profession as it relates to maybe gender or age or, or race? So the, the PA profession has shifted over the past few decades to be a female majority profession. In 2019, uh, 69% of PAs were female. A similar shift is occurring with physicians, where the majority are female in dermatology, pediatrics, and other specialties. Regarding age, we know that more PAs are going straight uh, through from college to PA school, and the median age of recently certified PAs is 27, while the median age for all PAs is 38, so the profession is quite young. Regarding race, all have been steady except for a slight increase for Asian American PAs. The proportion of Asian American PAs has increased from 5.2% in 2013 to 6% in 2019. We know that the profession is mostly underrepresented by African Americans and American Indian and Alaskan Natives. 
All of those are really fascinating numbers as we talk about a profession that's been around for a little over 50 years and, and the evolution that it's seen to this point. I mean, you know, I know that the profession grew out of the military with uh, Army medics and Navy corpsmen uh, as part of that first graduating class at Duke University in 1967. And then we have that influx of, of, of females entering the workforce over these past few decades and really kind of flipping the script, as it were, in terms of uh, going for where they might have been a minority to start out the profession back in those days, as in many career fields, uh, women were probably the the minority of each profession. But now seeing 69% of females as practicing certified PAs, that's a, that's a huge number. And as the ethnic numbers prove out, uh, there is a, a lot of room still for the profession to, you know, really evolve and take, uh, make in roads and certain ethnic groups, but I but I do know from all of my talks with PA programs across the countries that there are many initiatives out there that are looking to, you know, start to bring in uh, uh, men and women of all kinds of diverse backgrounds in order to start to see that mix uh, of cultures grow within the PA profession. And, um, you know, it's great to see that the Asian American uh, segment of that has had some impact, uh, at least as it pertains to that between 2013 and 2019 timetable there. Colette, uh, where are PAs practicing today? Like what types of practice settings are they in? Does the report talk about that at all? Yeah, we um, include that as well. Uh, PAs are largely practicing in hospital settings with over 41% doing so. This is the second year in a row that we've seen PAs mostly working in hospital practice settings. And prior to that, we mostly saw PAs working overall in uh, office-based private practices. And what about the practice areas that they're in? Are there any new trends you're seeing there? Yeah, actually, since the first time we've started tracking this data since 2013, we see that uh, surgical subspecialties now have more PAs practicing in it than any other specialty. They've um, slightly passed family medicine general practice for the number of certified PAs practicing. And this also would be contributing factor to um, the hospital practice setting also for the surgical subspecialties, because we know that most of them are largely practicing in surgical centers and in hospitals. And seeing um, a lot, yeah, seeing that that hospital practice growth you were just talking about, um, this those types of uh, numbers in this report are kind of what also supports what you're seeing uh, as the, in that practice setting. Yes. And then with the um, surgical subspecialties, the number one and number two surgical subspecialty within the surgical subs would be orthopedic surgery and cardiovascular thoracic surgery. Very interesting. And those are, are uh, two of those uh, subspecialties that uh, we offer CAQ, um, you know, certificates yes. of added qualifications for if anyone's interested in that. So very, very interesting. Uh, but earlier we did talk about the growth of the profession in terms of numbers and individuals. But does this report give us any kind of uh, data about the role of PA programs as it relates to that growth? Yeah, we also know that, you know, part of what's um, contributing to the increase each year are the number of programs. The PA programs are continue to grow in the number of size, class size and in the number of programs. And today there are 254 programs and the number is projected to grow by uh, an increase of 52 in the next three years. And this will help add to the PA workforce. We expect that the um, increased workforce will help fill some of the provider shortages for primary care and in every other specialties because we know that PAs are trained as generalists but are able and capable of working in any specialty. 
And does the do you have any statistics about the outlook for PAs in terms of the growth of the profession, uh, the the growth that might be expected, uh, you know, in the future? Well, the Bureau of Labor Statistics estimates that the PA profession will grow 31 percent, which is quite large between 2018 and 2028. That's interesting because I've understood in talking to you and Andre before that the number for most uh, industries out there is is around 7%. So when you start talking about 30s, uh, that is, you know, certainly a large growth number as compared to many different jobs out there. And I'm sure uh, if you looked across healthcare in general, that, that you would likely see uh, something close to that number as, yes. as that, you know, as we see kind of a, another boom in, in the healthcare space. Well, you provided us with some great insight into what kind of data we'll see in this report. Uh, What other useful information is provided in there that PAs and employers might find useful? We have a geographic distribution of the PA profession within the report. We have detailed demographic information. There's information with other languages that PAs speak with their patients, uh, income, and a lot of other uh, types of information. And also, we wanted to point out that all of this data is available to PAs through their secure PA portal within NCCPA, where they can actually get a profile summary page uh, with the data that they provide. And they can see comparisons of themselves to other PAs, other PAs in their specialty, other PAs in their state, um, and kind of get a side-by-side glimpse for several of these variables that we collect um, just to see how they compare to other PAs who are out there working in the in the front lines like they are. Yeah, that's great. We You could go as a practicing PA to nccpa.net and log into your portal. And, and there is a tool on there to go kind of beyond, go to the next step past just reading the pages and maybe looking at the U.S. versus your state or, or specialties in different states together on the page and actually bring it down all the way to your specific and individual need where you can uh, get that data uh, right there sliced and diced in front of you and automatically kind of get that comparison that you were talking about. Should you be maybe negotiating for for a raise or, or other income, or maybe you're looking to change states or even change specialties? Uh, lots of great info that could be had uh, through that tool, and, and you can see that com- comparison instantly. That's great. Andre and Colette, thank you so much for joining us again to talk about PA demographics and workforce trends. We always appreciate having you on the podcast and look forward to talking with you again next time. Thank you very much, Jeff. Hey, thanks for having us. Thanks so much. And we'll have more PA Insights with NCCPA coming right up. Welcome back to PA Insights with NCCPA. You know, tens of millions of people every year are affected by mental illness. And with the current pandemic situation hitting home for all of us, even a larger amount of our population could be experiencing some form of mental illness at various levels of severity. But unfortunately, the percentage of those who actually seek mental health treatment is fairly low. And that brings us to the NCCPA Health Foundation, which is one of NCCPA's supporting organizations. One of the Health Foundation's primary initiatives is the task of helping PAs understand what their role can be in promoting mental health care for patients. 
To talk with us a little more about that is certified PA and NCCPA Health Foundation board member, Amber Bootsy. Amber practices in primary care and is joining us remotely today from Orlando, Florida. And also with us is Tiffany Flick, the Health Foundation's Managing Director. Welcome, Tiffany and Amber. Thanks, Jeff. It's great to be here today. Thank you so much for having me. So before we get to our questions, uh, Tiffany, can you share a little about the NCCPA Health Foundation and its initiatives for our listeners out there? So the NCCPA Health Foundation, as you know, is dedicated to advancing the role of certified PAs to improve health. And the Health Foundation does that by raising awareness of important areas like oral health and mental and behavioral health, areas where we believe that certified PAs can make a big impact. In addition, the Health Foundation offers grant programs that provide seed funding for PAs and PA students to make a difference in their communities. Through these programs, we see the impact of PAs who are addressing a host of public health health needs, oral health, mental health, and equitable care. I'm always so encouraged to see the impact of these grassroots programs, and the current pandemic only amplifies the need for such important work. Yeah, so as you mentioned there, improving mental health care is an important goal. Uh, Can you talk a little bit more about why this is one of the Health Foundation's main initiatives? Mental health is an important goal for the Health Foundation because, as I mentioned, it's an area where we believe all certified PAs regardless of discipline or practice setting, can make a big impact to improve health. While we know from NCCPA's data that more than 1,700 certified PAs practice specifically in psychiatry, we also know that more than 60% of all PAs, like I said, regardless of practice setting, are evaluating patients with psychiatric symptoms at least weekly. Plus, we know that the demand for mental health services in this country far outstrips supply with more than 120 million people living in areas where it's difficult to access mental health care. At the Health Foundation, we believe that certified PAs have an important role to play in bridging that gap. Okay, and Amber, what about you? Do you have anything you could add from a PA's perspective? Mental health is an integral part of every specialty. I personally work in primary care, and there's always an underlying behavioral aspect from lifestyle modifications to medication compliance, whether I'm treating diabetes or depression. Whenever I recommend a treatment plan, I have to be cognizant of the underlying factors that may interfere with the success or well-being of the patient. This is true for every specialty, from cardiologists to orthopedics. There are critical behavioral components that contribute to disease management and prevention. Yeah, that all is great information. And even to elaborate more on that, is there something that PAs across all specialties need to know in addressing mental health? Uh, Like maybe how they can help if their patient brings up any specific mental health questions or if the PA notices anything about their patient during their appointment. Absolutely. Outside of being able to identify the signs and symptoms of mental illnesses, knowing a patient's history and understanding how mental illness may play a role in their lives is crucial. By extension, we can understand how the diseases we manage, such as heart disease, diabetes, or joint replacements, play a role in their mental health. An example may be difficulty that patients experience attending physical therapy due to a panic disorder or medication noncompliance due to depression. We have opportunities to recognize an existing mental illness while performing a medication reconciliation, reviewing medical history, or even asking if they're experiencing any illnesses that we suspect. 
We should also keep mental illness in mind while prescribing and pause to ask ourselves, will this medication negatively impact a patient's depressive symptoms or any other mental illness symptoms? This is especially important when we think about substance misuse and prescribing controlled substances. Simply discussing the possible side effects or even the patient's comfort taking a particular medication and with regards to their mental health goes a long way in creating an effective treatment plan and improving compliance. Also, we should ask if they anticipate any challenges to their recovery and how we can develop a strategy for wellness. This can be more frequent follow-ups, referring to psychiatry or psychotherapy, and discussing any potential barriers they perceive to improving their health. Every healthcare provider should have contact information stored in their phone for psychiatry offices, mental health facilities, and of course, national hotlines such as the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. Well, those are great watch outs and action steps. So, uh, Tiffany, to aid and help out in that cause, can you take us through some of the tools and resources that the NCCPA Health Foundation has for PAs who are interested in addressing mental health in their communities? We have some great opportunities for PAs. Um, and these opportunities, I want to make sure that I'm clear, are available to all PAs, regardless of specialty uh, or discipline or practice setting. We have a $1,000 mental health outreach grant, and this is our newest grant program. We've intentionally kept the guidelines for this grant program high level so PAs and PA students can share with us the mental health need that they're interested in addressing in their communities. For example, it might be substance use disorder, or maybe their PAs are passionate about addressing the opioid crisis in their community. Maybe there's something to do with suicide prevention or raising awareness of eating disorders in high schools. We know that the needs in the mental health landscape are vast, and we know that PAs have the capacity and the creativity to be impactful in so many different ways. Um, and this seed funding, um, this $1,000, is just a little way to help, them, help PAs get started in this effort. The grant funding covers outreach supplies, patient education materials that PAs might develop, and other items that they might need to support their outreach efforts. Uh, PAs can get started by finding the grant guidelines for this three-page proposal on our website, which is www.nccpahealthfoundation.net. Well, that is some great information. And uh, Tiffany, you know, we all struggle with this idea of really finding, uh, you know, therapies or, or kind of uh, identifying those that are struggling with mental health. And I really appreciate that it's one of NCCPA Health Foundation's uh, primary initiatives uh, because these are injuries that aren't like a cut or a broken arm that people can see. And I think that really makes them difficult. And it also sometimes puts them in a place where they are hidden and they can't be regularly seen. And so sometimes they're forgotten. So for you to be placing such importance on it really shines a spotlight that, uh, that I certainly feel and many others do, I, I'm sure, uh, that needs to be shown on, on this particular problem. I'm really glad that you mentioned how uh, challenging it can be to address mental health concerns. The stigma attached to mental health is well known, but it's something that we need to continue to talk about. And actually, the Health Foundation has a second opportunity that we make available to certified PAs um, to address just that issue. And we call it our mental health spotlight. 
This is really an invitation that we've made to certified PAs and PA students to share their perspectives and experiences about mental health. It's an opportunity to keep the conversation going about mental health and to reduce stigma. And participating is actually really easy. We ask PAs to simply use their cell phones to record themselves sharing their thoughts about mental health. They can then send us the audio files at contact us at nccpahealthfoundation.net to participate. Um, We know it's sometimes hard to get started, so we've got some prompts and questions on our website to help PAs get started thinking about this. For example, we invite PAs to share with us why mental health is important to them, or what is something that they wish others knew about mental health, or especially given the current circumstances, what are some of the best strategies certified PAs can share for fostering provider mental health, dealing with stress, and safeguarding against burnout? We find that the best clips are about 45 seconds to a minute long, and we share those on our website and social media. This is for everyone, all certified PAs, regardless of practice setting or discipline. We we know that everyone has a role to play in addressing mental health concerns. Certified PAs interested in participating can find more details on nccpahealthfoundation.net. Well, and you know, you talk about the mental health spotlight, and it really is one of those things, uh, one of those issues where sometimes even as a provider, I'm sure that PAs out there could feel alone. And it's one of those things that is very important because uh, then we can all know that we're not alone uh, in this kind of uh, crusade, if you will, to to um, really go out there and treat mental illness. And I, I think that's a fantastic way for PAs to connect that initiative in, in itself is enough to help PAs realize, hey, I can have an important role in, in changing my patients' lives uh, beyond just the physical. So uh, definitely take advantage of that. Well, Tiffany and Amber, we appreciate all the information you shared with us. Do you have any final thoughts you want to share with our listeners? Absolutely. One of the sayings we have is every PA is a psych PA, equipped with the knowledge and capacity to save a life. We should be comfortable in utilizing the resources and tools available to us in our profession and, you know, our personal lives. Mental health has come to the forefront of medicine as both a concern for patients and providers. With increasing suicide rates and burnout rates across healthcare and the general population, it's really imperative to continue to raise awareness, care for our personal health, and exercise compassion with others. So if any listeners are ready to learn more, to make a difference, to be the change, please visit our website at nccbahealthfoundation.net. Great. Thanks, Amber. And Tiffany, what about you? Uh, Do you have anything to add? I really want to encourage your listeners to check out additional mental health and grant funding resources on our website. Um, And I'd love for listeners to connect with the Health Foundation on our social media channels to keep up um, on our latest opportunities. We really strive, especially on our social media channels, to create a focus on PA positivity, whether that's announcing our latest grant recipient or featuring a new tool or resource um, that PAs can use in their practices. We know that PAs uh, make a big impact um, and we hope to really be a part and supporting those efforts. That's great. And thanks again for that. And thanks to the both of you for joining us today. We look forward to hearing more from the NCCPA Health Foundation in the future. Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. Thanks again, Jeff. We'll be back with more PA Insights with NCCPA in just a moment. For this next segment, we reached out on social media and asked for questions that you had and would like to have answered on our podcast. We had a great response and have selected a few to answer here. 
Our first question is about the pilot alternative to Panry. We had several PAs ask, what is the passing score for the pilot? This is a good question. Uh, we know that PAs participating in the pilot are very interested in this. As we mentioned, prior to launching the pilot, it was important for us to gather sufficient performance data as PAs completed the pilot questions before we could move forward with setting a passing standard. As per exam development industry standards, a group of subject matter expert PAs met earlier this year to participate in a standard setting meeting to develop recommendations that was presented to the NCCPA Board of Directors to finalize the passing standard. We anticipate being able to provide feedback to pilot participants about their performance relative to the approved passing standard later this summer. And of course, we'll keep pilot participants informed when this additional information becomes available. Our next question is on Panry, and this one says, are there any plans to get rid of the current traditional Panry, especially for those who do not practice in primary care? NCCPA has dedicated more than three years of extensive study to explore Panry, and the pilot is an important outcome of those efforts. Currently, there are no plans to discontinue the traditional Panry. However, NCCPA continuously reviews and evaluates our programs, and the board will be making further decisions after the pilot is completed. You may remember that in 2019, the content blueprint was modified to transition the PANRI from a broader general medicine exam to the new core medical knowledge exam. And the same blueprint is also used for the pilot. The core medical content blueprint for both recertification assessments was developed with extensive input, and it covers topics that have been deemed relevant and important for all certified PAs to know regardless of their practice area. And as you know, the PAC credential is a general certification that supports and enables PAs to change practice areas throughout their careers. And we continually hear from PAs that this flexibility is a hallmark of the profession. All right, and here's our final question today. What is the best advice for a returning stay-at-home mom to get back in the PA world, assuming I've kept up with my certification and license? This is a good question, and I think we can generalize this for anyone wanting to get back into the PA workforce. If you've kept your certification and license up to date, then we suggest checking out our PAC Career Center, which lists hundreds of jobs for certified PAs. You can find this on our website at nccpa.net. Also, what you can do is join your state PA membership organization and take advantage of the job resources that they offer, as well as network with other PAs in your state. You never know, they might know a job opening in your area. Thank you to all of you who submitted questions. We look forward to answering more of your questions in our next podcast. In this segment of the podcast, we want to share some good news with our listeners, which, let's face it, is something we all need to hear. Between the COVID-19 pandemic and the recent acts of violence shedding light on the racism and hatred in our society, it can be hard to stay positive. But through all of this, we have something that is keeping us looking onward to a better future, and that's you. All of the certified PAs out there doing what you do best, caring for your patients. Whether you're out there on the front lines of this pandemic, having spent months in unknown territory, risking your own health to bring medical care and hope to those who had been infected, or spending your career dedicated to addressing and eliminating the health disparities that minority communities and other underrepresented groups have been facing, we thank you. 
and this comes from the entire NCCPA family. We are so incredibly proud to be part of this profession with you, a group of over 139,000 medical professionals who are there to care for their patients no matter what. Well, that wraps up this episode of PA Insights with NCCPA. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at NCCPA CERT, on Instagram at NCCPA underscore CERT, and on Facebook and LinkedIn, where you'll find us under the National Commission on Certification of Physician Assistants. Also, if you like this podcast and want to make sure that you don't miss an episode, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you enjoy podcasts. We'd also appreciate you rating us and telling us how you enjoyed the show. A big thank you to all our guests who joined us today and all of you for listening. This has been PA Insights with NCCPA. 